0: the most unique was sit alert. And so you had the five minute alert, they, they called it Zulu alert, and you had four jets on alert. And so the horn would go off, you'd slide down the fireman pole, you run to the jet and in like a minute and a half, you would get the Eagle and you're in full burner screaming down the runway. You took off on runway two, four, and then you would uh, do the Immelman departure to then go eastbound, because that's where your next threat was. So it was the Immelman departures and one of our best missions was just to take off and not have any airspace. And you would squawk 033. You would come up on some TAD and talk to one of the German controllers. this is straw basket. This is speed apple. And you would just tell them, hey, I got two eagles an hour playtime. Let's run intercepts. And as long as you stayed below 10,000 feet and you ran on other military aircraft, knock yourself out. Started doing the, the air supremacy, air dominance thing. I mean. Uh, the Iraqis didn't fly for day three. They started burying their airplanes, kind of deal. So after that, I'm just going to rage around your country and go wherever I want, and do whatever I want. A very, a very different concept of, uh, you know, instead of being totally defensive, you're like, dude, I'm going to bring it, and and I can. You know, when you're when you're flying the old eagle, the old like the A model eagle, and your computer is, I don't know, like a like a slide rule, you, you couldn't do things right. It was very very simple. And when you when you got to the C model and you got to the uh to to the raptor all of a sudden you had all this essay and so we would have as instructors people get into big conversations like all right we're going to start off turning everything like halfway off and so they don't have essay and they learn the blocking and tackling because if they don't learn the blocking and tackling they're just going to be grooves to call it the trip to no slack island right there's no slack here You'd walk in the, 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 the squadron, it was the barnyard is what they called it. And the first thing you see is uh, on the chalkboard, the number to the Betty Ford Clinic, in case you got problems. And the next number you see is the number to the Greyhound bus line, in case you need to get a ride out of here.
1: What's up? Hope everyone is doing well. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching if you're on YouTube. My guest today is Colonel William Biff Moff, he started his career flying the Mighty Eagle and then wrapped it up flying the F-22. Had an enjoyable conversation with him. I think you're really gonna like it. As always, thanks to my Patreon supporters for making the podcast happen. If you're interested in supporting the podcast, getting access to There I Was stories, as well as some early access to content, you can swing over to Patreon. I got a link to that down below, as well as on my website, the Podcast.com. Those There I Was stories are also available to Apple Podcast subscribers. And now, they are available to Spotify podcast subscribers. If you're interested in that, great. It helps the podcast out, but at a minimum, everyone who has gone over to Spotify and iTunes left a rating or review. That helps the podcast get shown to more people, and I greatly appreciate you taking the time. The same applies over on YouTube. So as always, thank you to those who have supported the podcast. I'm truly grateful. Any reviews you leave, I read each and every one of those. So thank you for taking the time. To do that. With all that being said, let's jump into the podcast with this nice. My Sir, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Happy to have you on here. Looking forward to hearing a few stories and uh, a little about your career.
0: Excellent, happy to be here.
1: Well, um, before we get rolling in, I always ask everyone for like the elevator pitch of like who they are and what they're doing and how they got there. Can you kind of give me just a little bit of background on on you and your surmise your Air Force career because we want to dig into it. And then so, what are you doing uh, today?
0: Okay, so my name is William Mott, and I've been called Biff since I was a little kid, and it worked out fine for flying as a call sign. Uh, my dad was a soldier and so I was all set to go into the army and then all of a sudden got the itch to go fly and went to the academy and I uh, was fortunate enough to get selected to fly the F-15 started back in the Cold War. I flew the uh, F-15C, I did that for my entire career, did weapons school, all that kind of stuff and uh, then finally I got to fly the Raptor. I flew the Raptor as the uh, group commander at Tyndall and that turned out to be a great culmination to the flying career. And uh, after the Air Force, I got into uh, program management. I did that for a little bit, and then I got into sales. And so now I am part of the dark side, as they call it, uh, doing business development. And that's what I've been doing for like the last 10 years.
1: Yeah, it's a busy uh, business there. I'm curious. We'll, we'll jump forward here. But going from the Raptor or going from the Eagle to the Raptor, what was that like? And what year was that? Uh,
0: that was uh, 2007. 2007. So I'm coming off the staff, I uh, picked up for group command, and I go to Tyndall Air Force Base, which is the, the FTU, the training units for it, for at the time, the Eagle, uh, the Raptor, and then the Air Battle Managers. And so what's what's interesting about that is you, as the commander, can fly everything you own. So I'm like, all right. So I take the, uh, the senior officer course for the Raptor, and it was super exciting and super fun because it's a great airplane but it's only four rides. It's, it's like how to take off and land and not, not hurt yourself in it. Right. And, and it just was like the big teaser, right? So I do that. Uh, I then get get to, get to Tyndall, move in, do all that kind of thing. And I go fly the Eagle because I want to go see my squadrons, right? So I go fly the Eagle and it's like, oh, I'm back. I'm back with the lady I started with and Everything was right. The sticks in the center, you know? <laughs> and, and I had two sorties in the Eagle where it just felt so good. And the Raptor now was feeling kind of weird. And my uh, my commander, Brigadier uh, General Walters at the time, Magoo was like, "All right, cut that crap out. No more flying the eagle until you're an instructor pilot again in the Raptor." And I'm like, "Okay, sir, I can see your point." So I spend 60 days do the full you know syllabus, get checked out in the Raptor, and I'm okay. I mean, it's it's new, but it's, I'm okay. And then I I go, "Hey, it's time. I can go fly the eagle again." And I get in the eagle, and I'm like, "What the hell is this?" <laughs> it was like a totally different airplane. I'm like it's not climbing out at 450. I, I can't go supersonic just without even thinking about it. This is awful. How do these guys do it? And you realize how quickly your brain trains you to what you're most current in. And it was at that point, from that point on, when I went back to the Eagle, I, I had to like really get serious about, all right, don't screw this up, make sure everything works. And I, I mean, like I, I went to a Alaska flag and I got to fly the Raptor and that, and I'm flying with the Eagles. We're doing the mixed force stuff. And those guys are working their butts off to kill somebody and not be killed. And you're just like, geez, guys, oh my gosh. Oh, this is terrible. I feel so sorry for you. You know, Kill that guy, kill that guy. It was just really kind of a fun experience. Uh, but yeah, the Raptor, uh, it did everything as an Eagle driver you wanted it to do. It was just really cool.
1: This episode is sponsored by Aura. How much of your life is exposed in the digital realm? I recently started using Aura and within a matter of minutes, Aura identified over 60 data brokerages that had my personal and private information And the best thing is, they automatically started opting me out of each of those data brokerages to help protect my privacy. OR offers comprehensive identity theft protection. With OR, I can rest easy knowing that my personal information is being monitored 24 7. Any unauthorized use or suspicious activity, and I get notified immediately so I can start taking action. Many of you know I travel routinely throughout the month, maybe five or six countries on average. Aura also offers a VPN to help protect me when I'm using public Wi-Fi networks or those hotel Wi-Fi networks, as well as antivirus protection to keep my devices safe. I love that I can manage all my passwords with Aura's password manager, which generates complex and unique passwords. I don't have to worry about remembering the complex passwords, nor do I have to use the same password for each site. Overall, Aura has helped protect my online and digital life. Aura's identity theft protection, VPN, password manager, and credit score monitoring help keep me safe. And Aura does this all from a web-based as well as an app-based platform. For two weeks free, risk-free, go to aura.com backslash afterburn. That's A-U-R-A.com backslash afterburn or click the link down below in the description and start protecting your online identity today. The the only experience I had with it, was at a checker flag down at Tyndall. We we're doing okay. missile shoots and then we would do a uh, you know, large force exercise in the afternoon or the morning, but going back and then watching the Raptors tape, you know, after seeing what I saw on my radar and then seeing what they saw, I was like, well, this, this is not even fair. Now I know what you guys are just doing, just out there, just slaying, shooting, shooting, shooting. And I'm just like, I hope I get a radar contact and Oh, I'm just getting jammed. My face jammed off this this really sucks. What yeah. did the eagle at that time have an ACE radar or is it still a Mexican? So I mean, you're really going from the Nokia phone to the iPhone. Jumping it really between was.
0: It, it it was it was just amazing of how little SA you had in an eagle, versus versus the Raptor and how much you had to worry about getting spiked and all that kind of stuff. You know, it was just it was just really interesting. Uh, we were doing the first B coursers going through the whole command was freaking out. You know, these, this guy, these guys are getting this nine G aircraft, single seat, blah, blah, blah. They had a very long course. They went to Luke and did Viper stuff just to, you know, do all the, the stuff that's hard. And, uh, it was interesting to see that these, the these, these eight guys, I think they turned into Superman. I mean, I swear they like went right to mission commander because they had so much SA. It was big. One of my things that I never got to do was to track them down. You know, I see the old pictures from graduation and stuff like that, but I think I ran into one of them and, and I think he's in the reserves now or something like that. But I th- I think we really underestimate how quickly this generation can, can take on these big aircraft. You know what I mean? Like right now in, in UPT, people are worried about whether they can handle all the, the T-38 nuances and stuff like that. And yet these are the students that are playing DCS and they know what right. a single circle fight is and a two circle fight. And they've got hours and hours in virtual reality simulators. It's like, you know, I think, it's just different, you know, because in my time, it was a different experience. You went from, you know, playing with Tonka trucks to to fly fighters. And I think this generation, <laughs> because they got their iPhones, there's so much it, it doesn't shock them as much. And I've actually I've actually talked to people uh, like Lieutenant Curtles and stuff like that who deal with training and they they don't want to give the students as much as I think they should. And I go back to my experience in the Raptor. We were like, oh, no, no, don't let them go supersonic. Hold back on the reins. And yet, hmm, the kids did okay. That's interesting. What does that tell you? You know what I mean?
1: That is an interesting perspective. We talked about it with a few other guests on the podcast. And I think there's, it's the way, hey, this is the way it's always been, or this is the way I did it. But as technology evolves, like the planes, while they are still complex and can reach out and bite you if you don't respect it and know the systems, et cetera, the planes, to a certain degree, like a Viper, I would probably say is easier to fly than an F-4. You know, there's the, the way it is mech, the way it is designed, the ergonomics are there a little bit better the raptor the f-35 and so i had a buddy who was a strike heel bubba then went to the f-35 oh, yeah. teaching the b course and his analogy was he would assume that most wingmen coming out of the f-35 now have that situational awareness that a four-ship f-16 flight lead would have or a four-ship f-15 flight lead would have they give that wingman, hey, you now own this lane over here where that used to be a four shift of Vipers and that flight lead is managing just because of the technology, the way, you know, what that plane can do and see, like you said, these kids have now have grown up, used to being on tablets, used to playing DCS and, yeah, it's, just a different, it's a different problem with that.
0: So. You know when you're when you're flying the old eagle, the old like the A model eagle, and your computer is I don't know like a like a slide rule, you, you couldn't do things right. It was very very simple. And when you when you got to the C model and you got to the uh, to, to the Raptor, all of a sudden you had all this SA. And so we would have as instructors people get into big conversations like, all right, we're going to start off turning everything like halfway off. And so they don't have SA and they learn the blocking and tackling because if they don't learn the blocking and tackling, they're just going to be rubes. And it was like, wait a minute. They got all this stuff. Shouldn't we be teaching them how to use all this stuff? No, no, no. You need to turn half that stuff off. And and it was very spirited, you know, technology questions. And I don't remember what side of it I came down on, but I know that when I got towards the Raptor, I started realizing, okay, this is this is dumb. You don't you don't train with half your stuff. And yet, right. you know, it <laughs> okay. was and even we would get into like this happened. This happened in the 80s when the, the nine Lima came along. All of a sudden, this fly BFM to the control zone. Papa was. Why am I doing that? I'm just going to point and shoot at the guy. You can't do that. You're not in the control zone. Like, oh, Here we go. Yeah. It's it's so I don't, I don't know. I, I have a feeling if you were to talk to people now, you know, the young people, captains and majors and all that. How does the training flow? It's, it's different than what it was when I was a captain, totally different approach because the technology is so immersive. Um, like I remember, I remember I had to go do a safety board and they let me fly the T-38. So I'm up there riding in the back seat going, this thing's a dinosaur. You're <laughs> kidding me. And, uh, I knew the guy in the front seat. He was one of my, uh, Lieutenant colonels. And so he's like, okay, sir, I'll let you fly the whole thing, but I'm not gonna let you land it. And I'm like, why? And he goes, I'll show you. And so I take it to the flare, he lands it. And it's like, holy crap, remember the stubby little wings and you're just doing this with the funky landing gear? And I'm like, okay, good call, a good call. I don't want to be that guy. And yet I then roll into that world if we don't have adversaries for the Raptor, So we're going to a call, our Raptor pilots in the T-38. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, are you guys nuts? And they're like, oh no, so we're cool. We're good, you're, you're, just, you're just a dinosaur. But I don't know where I'm going with that story, but it just was, it just was interesting to see the old technology uh, the more you saw the new.
1: I think it is it's just a tough thing for people to break that mold. And we've seen it with how pilot training is changing. And I think there, there's there's some good things, there's some bad things with it. But my son, he has a PlayStation and, and he has an like ace combat, some like fighter jet game. It's got VR goggles. I'll be honest, you throw it on and this is you know rudimentary, I say rudimentary PlayStation, but if you actually had a simulator that was dedicated to it, probably some of the stuff that Red Six is doing with augmented yep. reality. Yep, freak. Like you really, I really can see the potential in like leveraging technology to make training more effective and you know, beneficial. And utilizing it appropriately is like the key piece here, not cutting, I mean, taking shortcuts. But I mean, man, it is a game changer when you can go out there and actually fight the way that the plane is designed to fight. You could turn on all the technology, you're not turning things off, try to make it tough like it used to be. And I always think too, you know, again, I had Emerald Fox uh, on the podcast. Uh, Kevin Sterling Gillum's another Navy guy. These love the, love the Navy brethren. I always find it funny though, but like they all know the number of traps they have, and rightfully so. Oh wow! Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to land on a boat. I've said that, and I'll, I stand by that. But um, hearing the discussion, like if you had the technology to make it easier to land on a boat, and now while well, you need to know how to do it. And you could spend if you had to spend ten stories, figure out how to land on a boat. But now the technology allowed you to spend five, and then you can use that technology to help you. You can spend the other five stories going out there learning how to employ your machine to kill things.
0: You're just crazy, man.
1: It's insanity. But I mean, so
0: so one of my good friends is Spock Bynum, and uh, Admiral Bynum flew with us in uh, at Langley when we were doing uh, Southern Southern Watch or something like that after the Gulf War. But Spock's a super Hornet guy and all this experience. And you talk to him about coming aboard ship. uh, You know, he let, he got a bunch of us out on the independence to watch the thing uh, land, but you know, they go to the T-45 and then go fly off some aircraft carrier in the Gulf and they get their training that way. And there you go. Now you're ready to go to the, uh, the rag. They're actually thinking about not landing the T-45 because that training doesn't apply to the technology of the F-35 and the F-18 super Hornet coming aboard. So Talk about a major leap for the Navy to go, wait a minute, we're not going to go to the boat anymore in training until we get to our major weapon system. That's heresy, but no, that's reality because technology is changing. You know, Spock would talk about coming aboard with no HUD. He goes, that's a sporty little game. And uh, you know, he did that for most of his time. And he says, nowadays you just like, like, like the Raptor or the Viper, you put the thing on the thing and you fly the thing at the right number of pitch ladder degrees and boom, you're there. So anyway, you're right, technology changes, and it's been fun. At my current job, uh, I sell flight simulators, and I do the VR goggle stuff and all that. So really into what's going on at Pilot Training Next and how that that's all training. And it, it is fun to watch all the technology and be really cool about it, but then go, I'm old school. I think you just got to fly your butt off. And uh, they're like, <laughs> Oh no, 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 shh, you don't understand. And uh, anyway, it's fun in, in the current role I have to try to look back. And uh, and see how things are changing. You know, now guys are getting their wings after T six, right?
1: They are, yeah. And the, so this that's the part where I, I like, eh, I'm like, I don't say I'm not in the I believe button uh, on that just yet because I'm skeptical. of Like, why are we doing that after T sixes? <laughs> now you see they're doing T ones and singlators only. I think uh, was it is it Redbird that is doing? You guys are doing it, okay? So we need to yeah. we when you talk about this because uh, I'm curious to you know be smarter about it. But that that piece with I think. The argument from you know, probably you, me, got old hats, if you will. I say that loosely, but you can't replace airmanship by just cutting out flight hours and doing simulators. No, but I do think you know, seeing some of these simulators and technology that exists today, you if you went through instrument training, contact training, if it's a weather day, you're able to go over to the simulator Mm -hmm. and train, it's not a syllabus deviation. For those who don't know, it's like if you did something like that back in the day, the two stars getting briefed on why Lieutenant so-and-so got a extra SIM that wasn't in the syllabus. But if you leverage that technology to make better pilots, in the end, you're going to, one, make better pilots, I think, and two, you're probably going to save some money down the road when they don't hook their instrument ride because they got to practice in a, an environment that was on the ground, relatively cheap, and relatively immersive. So. Curious. So, yeah. So can you talk to about the, the, the T1 training and how is there, is, is that you guys, or can you talk about the simulators and kind of Still, what yeah, you are calling Yeah.
0: I, I work for SAIC and, and that, you know, we're the one of the giant defense contractors and that's our little business area that we're working on. Um, Air Force gets a bill for the T1. Hey, you got you got to update it. You got to make it new. And the Air Force is like, Oh my gosh, I don't have money for that. I want to put money into F-35s or some sort of more combat situation. So, They've, they've said, Let, let's try to make what we were doing in the T1, the T1 simulator. So knock yourself out. So you put the goggles on and it's mixed reality. So you can still see your hands. You can still read your lineup card. And yet everything outside the windows is virtual. So you can you can see your, your co-pilot and do your thing with him. And the thing is three degrees of motion. So when you, you shut down one of the engines, you get the yaw and it wiggles when you hit the ground and all that. And it's it's gone through like the prototyping phase. They put some students through it and they're like, I Guess this kind of works. And the the trick is is when when these guys in the in the, the heavies go through the T1, their next aircraft is the C 130. C one thirty is going to be like 16 simulator rides and two sorties, and that's it. So it fits really, really well. Um, I don't I don't see this replacing, you know, fighter stuff because we've got to go upside down and all that. It's really, it's really a pain. But I think what you're seeing is the the recognition that simulation can better prepare you. When you actually do get in the jet, you're not just, holy cow, how do I program the radio? Uh, That was, that was the thing back in the Eagle. We had half quick and you had to like use both arms and do this kind of garbage. (laughs) But I think it's, I think it's changing. And one of the analogies that I'll make to the simulation world right now is that when I was at UPT or a lieutenant trying to learn to fly the Eagle, chair flying is what you did. You know, today, tomorrow you're doing ACM and you would sit there and strap on your your in-flight guide and your checklist and sit in a chair and imagine it all. And that's how you got ready for it. I remember doing that for flight lead upgrade because they're like, all right, look, you've been on the wing and now you got to take a formation to the airspace. Have you thought about that in a long time? Nope. I don't even know what the departure is. And
1: uh, (laughs) and so you would chair
0: fly dumb stuff like that. So I really think what you're seeing now is this, this lightweight simulator stuff becoming chair flying and it's going to gain acceptance as it grows. And I also think that eventually the technology is going to really affect what people do. Like, like, can you make a better red flag? Can you make a virtual flag? i bet you can, you know, I bet you, I bet you it's coming and it's, it's like, it's, it it has to happen. And it's going to come. And I think people have to figure out the smart way to do it. So you don't have the, this is terrible. We're losing all of our airmanship Uh, because it's a, it's a reality. But uh, like, look at it this way. When I went to Bitburg, we had a simulator. It was a full motion. I swear it was made by Goodyear, but it was probably made by Boeing or whatever. But they had like a Goodyear sticker on it. And uh, you could only do instruments in that. That's all you could do. You could, you could fly and do instruments. There was no visuals. We could run a radar intercept on a single target. And so everything I learned at Bitburg was in the aircraft. There was nothing in the simulator. And uh, you know, even weapons school. In, in, the, in, the, in the early 90s and the 2000s when I was the commander there, there was no simulator. Do it. Go fly. And so that's why I think it's it's there's resistance in the community to go wait a minute, but it is changing. It has to change.
1: Yeah, we're super resistant to change. Just looking at like our personnel system, like yeah, it's it's super it's super painful to to make any of those changes. But yeah, on that note, it's like we're talking about if you went out and did a seed sortie or a DCA sortie in the Viper, you get maybe one vol, maybe a vol and a half on a training sortie, maybe, mm-hmm. and then. Yeah, you know, depending on what kind of adversary area you can put up, you know, you might only have two red air, and they're regening constantly, trying to generate a you know a picture. But in the simulator, you can go get two full looks, two vol's, so twenty five minute periods, and the sim instructors can throw low guys, high fast flyers, walls at you, and that's really where you can start practicing, you know, target tactics. flow and how how you're going to do that, and when you go out there. Good. So as simulators you get better. I better better but you know
0: balls. it's like going to the driving range great good job driving range feels good it's different when you get on the course and you know you got to get on the on on the green you got to, you know make par it's it's different so they got to find the balance between doing that i mean you know at the academy they got like 50 simulators it's like what 50 yeah they're on the airfield they're in the academic thing and and it was part of my reality with when the when the guys get to UPT, they are so much more full of airmanship than what I did. I was just like, really? Yeah, I was impressed by that.
1: Yeah, that's cool. Well, let's jump back. So, obviously, Air Force Academy, and then you go to pilot training, and then mm-hmm. to the Eagle. Pittsburgh is your first assignment in the Eagle. Mm-hmm. Is that right? What was that like? I mean, again, you're flying up initial, and the Soviets were right across the the yeah. way there.
0: Yeah, it was it was a totally different time. I swear there were there were eleven. Uh, fighter bases in, in that region called the Eiffel. And uh, one of our best missions was just to take off and not have any airspace. And you would squawk, uh, I think, 033. You would come up on some TAD and talk to one of the German controllers. Yeah, this is straw basket. This is speed apple. And you would just tell them, hey, I got two eagles an hour playtime. Let's run intercepts. And as long as you stayed below 10,000 feet and you ran on other military aircraft, you knock yourself out. You know, one of the fun things to do is to go cap next to the entry point at Han Air Base. And everybody coming back into the pattern at Han gets tapped by two eagles. And all you could do at low at was do a break turn, but it was still fun to sneak up on people and then you know make this whole force of Vipers break. And you're like, nah. And,
1: <laughs>
0: and then it was always the Germans who would fly low. There's all these uh, uh, noise complaints. You know, The Germans really didn't like us raging around, but it was the German Air Force that was raging around. <laughs> the and you'd be you'd be cruising along at five hundred feet over someplace, and you look down, and there's a four ship of F 4s going underneath you. You're like, what the hell? Canadians also raged around. They were down on Sulligan, um, so that was that was your that was the fun mission. It really was. And then when you would get to the uh, the big exercises, man, there was so much stuff flying around. We had like the army was over there, helicopters, everything. It was also a navigational nightmare because you had all these uh, control zones. Uh, specialized use airspace things like that so you would sit there and all you would have would be your present position in your ins and you'd pull that up and then you'd have your thumb on a map and you'd be like oh man please don't let me fly through something there was no there was no situation display and all this kind of you know fancy stuff it was it was clock to map and i can remember being a wingman flying with one of these majors who was an a10 pilot and he had experience in germany before flying the eagle I have no idea where we are. We're just raging around and it's like things I haven't seen. And I swear there's factories all around us. And I'm like, where are we? And he goes, I know where I am. And because he's an A-10 guy, right? He's
1: he's never looked up. He's just looking at the ground.
0: Uh, The other thing thing we did at Bitburg that was, I think, the most unique was sit alert. And so you had the five-minute alert. They, They called it Zulu alert. And you had four jets on alert and you would fly almost every workday. They'd call it a tango scramble. And so the horn would go off. You'd slide down the fireman pole. You'd run to the jet. And there there were there were four bays. You lived in the center like in a firehouse. And in like a minute and a half, you would get the Eagle and you're in full burner screaming down the runway. You took off on runway 24. And then you would uh, do the Immelman departure to then go eastbound because that's where your next threat was. So it was the Immelman departures. And we would sit there in the flying <laughs> squadron. The, the 2-2 is about halfway down the runways, and we would hear the burner takeoffs. And so we knew that that was the Zulus, and we'd watch out our windows. Because if they came by the window and you could see them with the gear up and they're smoking to get some airspeed, you knew that was going to be a good departure. They would get a good pull and get their smash. If you never saw them, they, they were above the window, you're like, man, they're, they're not going to get the knock to, to be able to do the element pull. And it was it was always fun to be doing that because in the Eagle f 100s first you got to get them both the light. Sometimes you had to go, you know, backhand back out. But then the next thing you know, you're doing this Immelman pull, and you go into the weather at 700 feet. You're like, oh, this is special because now you're staring at your instruments, and you would have to roll out, get a rejoin, all that, all that kind of kind of stuff. But Bitburg alert was was too much fun. You sit around and uh, you're wearing your your G suit, and you're waiting for the horn to go off, and it's it's a screaming loud klaxon.
1: And, yeah, there's a lot there I want to talk about as a, as a fighter pilot because one I've heard guys talk about the squawk and jumping other jets. And now having flown around Europe a good bit, I mean, it's like throw spaghetti at the wall and like hope you don't, you know, go into someone's airspace, et cetera. But then two, this emblem departure, I want people just to think about blasting, you know, doing an emblem. So going straight up and then turn it on your back and then turn it eastbound. But now you're finding your flight lead or yeah, you know, your wing that's back there. Like There's a lot that you could break down and to go into here. That's kind of sporty, especially in the day when you didn't have all these four flights and situations. The
0: the standard for MQT mission qualification training was the day after you took your check ride, you went out to alert. And, and I can remember going out to alert and being practically nervous the whole time. You know, will I be able to run to my jet and, and be there because if you're number two and when they go check two, three, four, and you don't say two, Three's got it. And so he's chomping at the bit to go. And one would kill you if you did that. <laughs> and, and so the way the way it would roll is you'd get out there and you would take over the takeover alert and you'd go put your gear up in the jet. And all of a sudden it becomes very precise as to where you put your helmet, what you're going to do. Because, you know, you are you are literally on the ladder and you reach in, sit down, and you pull the JFS, fire the APU. And then you keep going, right? And there's this, this thing through here and that thing through here and by the ladder moves and on and on. Um, it becomes like a dance and I can remember being very uh, concerned about this kind of thing that I was going to be able to do it and finally of course you you scramble and as soon as you see number one put it in burner, you're like oh yeah this is this is good stuff I mean and honestly it wasn't it wasn't a full you know airshow show demo at 180 it was like a 45 right. up and move it around right so we're we're out there on I think it was Memorial Day like an 88 or something like that I'm with the weapons officer and it's a beautiful sun, summer day. But uh, we know we're not going to fly because it's a U.S. federal holiday. And the, the headquarters calls up and goes, hey, you take on tour bus. Tour bus is coming out. Give them the tour. Tell them how great you are. And, of course, the tour bus does not come into the building. It stops about 100 feet away from the building. So we go out there, uh, Mush and I, he was my, my flight lead at the time. And all of these old guys pile off in the little funny hats, you know, the VFW hats. And it turns out these were guys who literally came ashore on D-Day and walked all the way to the battle of the bulge and they're taking their their tour you know they're they're, they they went into normandy they're taking the whole tour and uh they're they just start telling stories just talk and these were the guys who were in this little luxembourg town called ectronach and the battle of the bulge starts they got run over they got pows they were they were captured and you know the, the the captain was like their company commander He was like, I had to surrender. I mean, we were going to get, we were ready to get it rolled. And the guys are like, that's okay. We understand. And these are, these are old men and you're just getting that greatest generation thing. And uh, next thing you know, the horn goes off. I'm like, what the heck? Mush looks at me and pushes me out of the way. I hit the ground. He's in a full sprint back. And I'm like, well, if I go, I'm in a full sprint back. And so now we're running really fast to, to get back there, fire it up. Uh, You run through the checker check and you come out of the barn And and again, it's just an awesome feeling because a minute ago you were talking to these guys and these guys lined up on the Do Not Cross line and then saluted Mush as he taxied by. You know, it was it was totally amazing. And so then we're flying around. It's Memorial Day. There's there's a few Germans to go intercept. There's nothing going on. And uh, one of the American controls or groups are like, hey, why don't you do a flyby of our little place? And we're like, "Okay." I can't remember what it was. It was like fan belt. They all had cool, cool little call signs. So. So we, we rage to some part of Germany I had never been to. We go into uh, fingertips. so I don't get to see anything. And he like does this diving pass to go over these guys. And he comes up and they're like, well, did you see us? We were in the parking lot. And he's like, no. He goes, well, come by again. We'll get the commander's flag out and we'll be waving it at you. And so we come back around again. And they're like, that's, that's great. You guys did a good job. You know, it's just one of these fun days that you realize that this is actually, uh, it's a worthwhile business to do, you
1: know. Every now and then there's those really, that's, that's pretty powerful too. I think just, yeah, seeing those guys out there, being able to talk to them and then claxing going off and they're out there saluting you as, as you guys blast, which man, what a different time, huh?
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, 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 yeah.
1: Whatever. People would,
0: people would do horn checks Squat, cause they always had every day had to do a horn check. And so you'd, you'd have all the maintenance guys going horn check, going to be a horn check and the horn would come off. We'd all go cool. The classic was, was when the uh, alert force commander would do a horn check. And then go, oh, that was just a check, guys. Sorry. After word, he started running, you know, it was just like, dude, just, I think I think we did that once, and all of a sudden, number four pulls a JFS, and we're like, oh, I guess we didn't get his attention. You know, it was a good. Time.
1: Yeah. It's the devil's in the details. That communication piece sometimes will come out and bite you. That's different, different time. So, you, and then going from, yeah, I think that that Soviet staring them down to the transition, you were a desert storm. Can you talk to me a little bit about how the dynamics of the transition from the Cold War, Cold War mindset to what we are in today, but also talk a little desert storm and your experience there.
0: So, so Bitburg, uh, each squadron had a lane, each squadron had a place. They had to go do their thing. And so you thought you fought the war as a two ship. That's what you're going to go do. It's time to take off, go do your job. Uh, when you went to. Iraq. All of a sudden, we went back into the OCA and DCA mentalities. You know, you would you would form up with a bunch of vipers and the and the weasel guys, and you'd push north and you'd do what what you learned to do out of Red Flags, and uh, and that what to me was the was the biggest change as far as that. You also really started doing the the air supremacy, air dominance thing. I mean, uh, the Iraqis didn't fly after day three; they started burying their airplanes, kind of deal. So after that. I'm just going to rage around your country and go wherever I want and do whatever I want. A very, a very different concept of, uh, you know, instead of being totally defensive, you're like, dude, I'm going to bring it. And, and I can. And, you know, now in today's war, you know, adversaries may fly against us more than likely. And adversaries have very, very complex SAM systems. So it becomes more and more difficult. But that's what you got. You know, Raptors, F-35s, the whole, the whole modern uh, Air Force is for. But we, you know, the first thing was just getting there. Right. So so we used to have a, a commitment to deploy, like, I don't know, eight eight jets and get somewhere uh, really quickly out of Langley. And so we roll in there uh, in one the morning and the squadron commander, you know, says, all right, you guys are all on alert. Go home. And it was only like 10 of us. And then uh, nothing happened. And we started like, hey, are we, are we going to Iraq? What's going, what's going on? And, you know, we had no cell phones. We had, we had home phones. You, you know, a couple of the guys had pagers, you know. Eventually they, they call us back in and we're like, this is it. We're going in, bring your bags. You know, you get your bags packed and they're like, Hey, we're just going to fly the jets. It's been like two or three days. Maintenance has generated them. Let's go fly. So you, we went and the intercepts with three bags and four by four. And, uh, it was weird flying with that kind of configuration. Cause you never flew with three bags, you know, unless you were going somewhere. Uh, yeah. It's just very heavyweight airplane. Uh, so then we come back, we go a couple more days. And then all of a sudden it's like, come to work and you show up and the whole squadron's going. And not only the whole squadron's going, but like lieutenants are piling into back seats. We're taking everything, and uh, the next day the other squadron's going, and so that was that was impressive. And you know, you get a call. I swear, I got a call like at ten o'clock in the morning, and by eleven thirty, um, airborne rejoining on a KC ten in a, in a cell of six, and we're gonna fly for fifteen hours. We're, we're let's go. You know, fortunately, we weren't wearing poopy suits. And uh, next thing you know, we land. We go. Uh, into this big briefing room with this uh, Saudi general who talks about defending the border and if it flies, it dies kind of stuff. And we're like looking at each other. And the next thing you know, the, uh, the guys who came over who had pilot rest because they came over on the 141s, they're airborne. And we manned that darn cap for months sitting there, you know, just south of the border listening to the whole thing and then watching everybody else show up, you know, watching the 82nd Airborne show up, watch all the tanks show up, all that stuff. And the war kicked off. So it was an interesting transition. Uh, Just made you really think.
1: Yeah. I mean, a different world. And you mentioned something that I found curious because the episode with Admiral Fox, he was talking about that mindset shift that I really hadn't thought about where, you know, I I remember I was a little kid at the time. But yes, Saddam had the second, third biggest army in the world. Right. It's going to mean it's going to be it's going to be a fight. Yep. And he said the, you know, the initial mentality was kind of a defensive posture. And I, I think a lot of that probably comes from Cold War, et cetera, to this kind of, he said it was like a, a switch that happened at some point where, no, no, like we're, we're offensive. We're going to take, take the fight to them. So, so this is kind of a mentality shift. I don't know, somewhat interesting to me.
0: So it is generational, right? So, you know, years later, I'm at the War College and I decide that I'm going to do a paper on Robin Olds. What else would you do? So uh, I'm, I'm digging around in the archives and I pull up the the audio tape from like Blue 16. On a, It's a cassette of of uh, Operation Bolo. Let's go kill seven MIGs in, in one sortie. And it was just fascinating to try to understand it, to listen to a little bit of calm discipline, to hear their voices and to see how they do it. And then suddenly realize, hey, wait a minute. That's what we do. And next thing you know, you you pull out this map of North Vietnam and you overlay it over the Nellis Ranges and go, hey, check it out. It's like exactly the same size. And so this whole thing about getting on a tanker and doing the root pack thing, going north, doing all that kind of stuff, we it's, it's in our DNA. It's what we did. We just kind of forgot about it, I think, until all of a sudden you're in the, in a desert storm and Yeah. That's what we do. Like I remember they, they talked about in Vietnam how the tankers were heroes. They would actually come north and grab F4s and, you know, Pardo's push, stuff like that. I can remember being on day three with the KC-10 at sunrise going over the tri-border area because we had changed things. He wasn't going to cap south of the border. We needed more gas. Let's go. And so um, with the weapons officer, we pull up on this bright white and blue KC-10. Just at dawn and he's got all his lights on. It's like, dude, we're we're in the tanker track and we pull up the four ship and we are driving way north. And uh, the, the, the lead goes, Hey, uh, you know we are in Iraq. You might want to like change your light setting. Guy goes completely off.
1: <laughs> Everything's gone. <laughs> <laughs> like, hey, 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 hey. Maybe,
0: maybe the strip lights, dude. Give me give me give me the strip lights here. And uh I can remember another day coming up on a one thirty-five to get my gas. I look up at him. And there are three faces looking back at me out the window, two spotters and one boomer. And they're all, you can see the buckles on their parachutes. And I'm like, oh yeah, we, we are way north of the border. But we did that in Vietnam. So the American Air Force is very impressive, I think. It really is. And uh, even today, I think it would blow me away if I really got back connected up again with
1: it. Yeah. And I think you probably can draw a parallel or analogy to what the Air Force is, I think, doing today. Whereas we've spent the last 20 years in an uncontested air environment and now pivoting towards our near-peer peers, right? It's going to be a much different fight if that fight should happen. So again, it's just kind of like knocking off the dust on the books. I'm like, all right, Hey, we've done counterinsurgency and close air support for the last 20 years, but there's other skill sets that are probably going to be more at the forefront of the next fight, if you will. So interesting. does you know, And ebbs and flows, you know, single. Your time so after Desert Storm, you're at Langley. Uh, you go going weapon school, in that time period. Can you talk a little bit about uh, weapon school? What it was like back in back in the day?
0: You know, weapon school. Uh, it, it it it's a trip. We used to call it the, a trip to No Slack Island. Right, there's no slack here. You'd walk in the the the, the squadron. It was the barnyard, is what they called it, because of the way it looked like a bunch of stalls. So it were little desks, little walls around them. And the first thing you see is uh, on the chalkboard, the number to the Betty Ford Clinic in case you got problems. And the next number you see is the number to the Greyhound bus line in case you (laughs) need to get a ride out of here. So it was really, it was really fierce, sarcasm and ridicule. And uh, it was, it was a very tough course Uh, at the time. There weren't that, you know, it was, it was the Eagle, the Viper A10 and and Intel, I think, and maybe the ABMers. It it wasn't the, the much, much larger, much different school. But I remember being very intimidated and very impressed, like, don't don't make eye contact. Don't get don't get to be uh, targeted. We were in the the first class that was going to be part of the two month or two year, two class a year cycle. So we had a lot of students. And so that kind of helped us out. You know, before it was classes of three and four. Now we were a class of a class of eight. And so we had we had we had WASA. We thought we were somebody Uh
1: was it a class it, before that? Was it a four? Was a course shorter with three or four? Yeah,
0: yeah. They they increased it because they wanted to do more and more integration. That's why we're in the six month model now. This was this was a long time ago. But uh, you know, it's funny how you remember back at it. Like well, there were a lot of majors that were instructors. Old, crusty majors. Ooh, those guys were probably thirty three, <laughs> really experienced. <yeah. laughs>
1: and
0: I uh, I loved every one of them, and I feared them at the at the same time. Uh, you know, the BFM for an Eagle driver is the rite of passage. You've you got to get past BFM. You're not just going to pass BFM and move on. And so, of course, I hit my my Waterloo at offensive BFM. Not I don't even make it to defensive BFM before. Hey, this isn't going well. And my problem was I was very aggressive. I wanted to kill the guy now. And it's very bad to be that way because the, you fly a tight wire, everything's cool. You kill him quickly. But if he's any good, mm, you're neutralized. Life's not good. So I'm flying with, uh, with Tex Merrill and he was, uh, he had a star man. he was extremely experienced pilot. And he says to me in the debrief, uh, is this a fair assessment of your performance? And I'm like, I guess, yeah. Well, you bust. Well, it turns out that that is his standard line. Everybody knew it and they hadn't told me that if, if he says, is this a fair assessment of your performance? You're going down, you just, you just ew, hang your head. So uh, sure enough, now, now after flying with uh, that ride, you get to fly with the squadron commander all right let's make it even more stressing let's make it even more difficult and that's that's just the mindset of the weapon school you know it's it, the things don't get easier if you have if you have trouble let's we'll give you all the attention you need but you better step up and perform so I pass you know my rides and I move on I get to the low at ride which is for an eagle guy it's it's just low at it's not it's not like you know flying like a striker and doing stuff like that only reason we do it is because we got to go kill the striker so we do low at a uh, 300-foot ride. It's it's a bunch of exercises. It's a bunch of stuff. And I'm flying with Tex Merrill again. And we get in the debrief, and he looks at me, and he goes, is that a fair assessment of your performance? And I do the, oh, my gosh, oh, my
1: god, <laughs> I know.
0: I'm busting the dumbest ride. And he goes, no, wait, 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 wait. I mean, do you understand? And I went, ah. <laughs> and he starts smiling, and I'm like, hey, I read your book, Rommel. I know what, I know what this is going on. So that was that's how I would describe it. Describe that 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 time frame, and I I flew with excellent excellent guys, and when I was invited back to become an instructor, I enjoyed it all the more because you really get into that. The, the weapon school is a C one do one kind of a thing, so we're going to go do TI, dude. You know I'm going to be Rambo one. I'm going to show you how it's done, and make everything perfect all the way to the deeper even controlling the adversaries, making sure that they are you know doing the right things, and then you fly as Rambo two, and you 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 keep teaching. As you watch the the students do it and you know I, I flew with with guys that to this day i still appreciate the heck out of you know what i mean like i can remember uh my my next generation my commander when i flew the raptor magoo walters he was a uh, he was a leaving instructor he was about done i was like one of his last rides and he knew me from from bitburg so we go up and fly uh, high aspect BFM, and I am just hanging on, soaked in sweat, and he is just like, "Whatever, this is easy, you know." But his his lesson to me was, let, "Let's talk about students. Let's talk about taking care of them and making sure that you train." I don't care about your briefing was two minutes long; you'll you'll get that right, Biff. But I just really appreciated his his approach and his essay, and the fact that he was just killing me without even thinking about it. it was like, "My gosh, this guy's a, a monster," and yet. And yeah, give me three years at the same position. I could get to barely that level as well. So, weapon school was fun. Weapon school was real good.
1: Yeah. And for those to listen that aren't super familiar with weapon school, I think, you know, again, the analogy there is Top Gun for the Air Force. But, you know, my buddies who have been through weapon school, it's super impressive to see what it go through doing weapon school support and just get a little, like, look at just the excruciating pain that uh, these guys are going through, guys and gals are going through to, to earn that patch is super impressive. And then to see the product on the, the flip side, you're like, they're phenomenal uh, instructors. Usually, maybe there's like one that's still cheap, but like there's some betting that goes through.
0: It's interesting how the Weapon School and Top Gun things came about. Um, you you would like to give everybody the same training. Everybody gets to shoot a missile. Everybody gets a million gun rides. Uh, everything's great, but you can't. You just don't have the resources to do it. And the idea that you will, you'll take one guy, give him as everything you can do possibly in the, uh, in the aircraft. And then his job is not to become this arrogant dude. His job is to give it to everybody else. It's a, it's, a, it's an amazing concept. And that's why they talk weapons officers. The first hallmark is uh, humility because you do, you do the dude, I am a rock star. I have done everything possible in my aircraft, but that's not going to enable you then to give it to somebody else. And that, that a lot of the lessons that they would talk about, especially towards the graduation timeframe is, you know, you're busy doing stuff. How do you, you know, quit doing stuff and take care of that second lieutenant? That's just got a, a dumb question. But to him, it's super important. Right. Um, you know, and, I, and I, you know, hats off to a lot of the people that, you know, years ago came up with this concept of do everything for one guy. It's all you can afford. And then he shares it with everybody else. Like I can remember doing that. We were We were at Langley and we come back from the war and I realized that, you know, our missions were like 10 hours. That was our standard day. And so mostly what you do in flying around the flagpole is go do a 1.0 ASD, go out to the water, fly, come back. So I was able to uh, work with the commander and the ops officer and come up with long range employment. And so we would, we would take off on a Langley, hit, uh, actually a tanker would come into Langley first, a KC-10, load up our maintainers, and we'd take off with 10 eagles. Uh, and that tanker would haul us all the way out to uh, 2508, uh, all the way out to uh, Edwards. And we met up with the, uh, the Miramar guys. the 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 Marine Marine Guard guys, Marine Reserves, I think. Fight a big mission, land there, and then employ out of their base for the weekend and then fly back home with the tanker. So, you know, it's it's just what you're able to do because you've seen it either in combat or weapons school to go, oh yeah, this is this is kind of important.
1: Yeah. And I know it's for weapons officers worried, you know, in the squadron and whatever that mission doc statement you know, requires their handle out if it's, you know, hey, there's some conflict on the horizon, they're prepping or they're doing instructor pilot upgrade rides, which were very intensive. I remember being, you know, a young wingman and asking Poker or Hyde or Nelson, who was our Dutch exchange officer who was a patch, those right. guys, you know, they would stop what they're doing. And maybe it was a really dumb question. They could let go look up here, you know, and they come back to me. Or hey, let's sit down and we're gonna talk for 15, 30. Minutes, whatever it might be, to explain this concept, which I don't have time to do, but I'm going to take the time and do it.
0: Because that's that's the mentality. Uh, there was a guy in uh Zane Lowry. Unfortunately, he uh, he died in an aircraft accident. It was very tragic. But he, I knew him when he was not a weapons officer. But you know, uh, I think he went to weapons school, came back, and I, I knew him. But literally, he would get into a briefing, and he could give you the Encyclopedia Britannica of what you're going to go do, and he could see exactly what you did wrong. And he didn't care. He was just going to he was just gonna teach you. And, and one of the things that we got to do since we had D models was to go ride in the back seat. And that was the classic line. You know, the, the wingman, don't ride with him, but ride with the IP because um, you get a long time and, and uh, then see what he does. And I can remember flying with Zane and just listening to his comments. You know, we're both looking over our shoulder at this guy and he would say something like, oh, he's he's too wide or whatever. And you're like, oh, is that what it looks like? It, it was that extra moment of getting that essay, and uh, I always appreciated that.
1: Yeah, can you talk to me a little bit about, I guess, the humility piece because humble, approachable, credible—that's that's a mock mm-hmm. weapon. That's it. And uh, you know, the viper, the sixteenth—I don't know if it's still there—but we're seeing it. They had the Dos Equis sign, the triple X, so they would light up the X's because someone was always on two X ride. But yeah. the stra- and and this goes from pilot training. And then just ramps up throughout, you know, the B course to weapons school. But, yeah, if you bust a ride in pilot training, depending on where it is in the phase, it might trigger a ride with the DO or the commander. Or it, yep, might, yep. it might probably start with the flight commander. And as you bust that ride, then it's going to trigger one with the DO commander. But then later on, like if you burn that early, like it's automatically like you bust one ride in a phase. Now it's right to an 89 rise, we call it to yep. ride with the commander and then you know if you bust that you're out the door so and then they go into the b course same guy who is on an x ride and then a double x ride like the stress and the pressure just increases but it seems like weapon school well maybe just like someone's always on a double x ride that that stress and strain that it okay if i screw up tomorrow i'm out the door can you talk to me a little bit about that how that works so
0: You know, all pilots have to figure out their, their stress as they approach check rides or, you know, do whatever. And they got, they got to figure it out. It's just part of, part of the course. What I remember back to is seeing that, that, that 1-800 Greyhound bus line phone number on the wall was, was a way of, of getting you kind of numb to it. You know what I mean? I mean, like, dude, you are two rides away from going home any day. We could, that's it. it. It is possible. And I found that at weapons school, it became perfect for me because I was always a high stress kind of a, uh, a young, young pilot. But at weapon school, I suddenly realized that every ride is a check ride. Every ride demands that kind of stress and slowly it didn't, it didn't bother me. You know, Hey, you're gonna go fly the commander. Yep. Yes, I do. You know, it, it, it doesn't bother me. And I, it, it just little bits and pieces of my career would, uh, would do that for me. Right. So, so like, Uh, you know, that weird time frame when you're, you're a very high hour wingman and you want to become a flight lead. You think you're, you're perfect and all that kind of stuff. And you're ready to go. I'm, I'm taxiing back in, in Incirlik and the radios aren't working. It's hot. I'm annoyed. I can't believe this. I take my helmet off. I can't stand listening to the babble anymore. And I take my helmet off as I come down the final parking ramp, turn the 90, boom, park in my slot. I'm going to be shutting down in a second. I got ear foamies in. I'm just frustrated. And so I'm sitting there, my helmet's hanging there by the hood and I casually look over to the Eagle next to me. Excellent. It's the wing commander. So now what do I do? Do I quickly throw my helmet back on? Do I leave it off? Do I quickly wave to my crew chief? Shut down, shut down, shut down, shut down. I mean, if, if you put the helmet back on, you're a loser. And it's like, I don't know what to do. I, I, I. So I sit there, shut down. Man, now I'm stressing. You know, if you're my 781s. Go back inside. By the time I hit the ops desk, the wing commander has perfectly timed his radio call to call in and go, hey, get me, get me, uh, this is Eagle one, get me Stinger one, my squadron commander. So now I'm like, ah, I'm, I'm, I am still got like my my, my my stuff on. I'm trying to find my squadron commander before he can answer that radio call to tell him, dude, it was me. I had no helmet. I swear I had a hot spot. Blah, blah. And, and of course, the squadron commander looks at me and he's like, you're an idiot. But sure enough, he gets on the radio and he's all humble pie. You know, this is Eagle One. I want to know why Lieutenant Moth thinks he can taxi my Eagle without a helmet. Blah, 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 blah. And I'm just melting there. Everyone at the ops desk is like, Ooh, don't make eye contact with him. Squadron commander is just doing the, oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Three bags full, sir. Yes, sir. We'll take care of that, sir. Oh, goodness, goodness gracious. And uh, Fang is, is the commander. Takes me in a room, does, does, does his business. You know, lectures me or whatever and says, you know, we shall speak no more of this. Next day, what does Fang do? He puts me as the wingman to the wing commander. Okay. <laughs> so now I show up at this thing, you know, and I give him the weather and the NOTAMs or whatever. And he looks at me and he's like, Well, that's all good there, Biff. But do you think you can keep your helmet on today? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. My helmet's going to be on. Chin strap. You got it, man. I mean, this, it just, I was just, it was crack up. So now I'm flying on its wing. We're en route. I, uh, I think I do the battle damage check and, uh, I'm expecting him to give me the push, go out, go out to spread. We'll fly back and answer. Like he doesn't. He leaves me a fingertip. You know, whatever. You're just a dumb lieutenant. He proceeds to drop his mask and smoke a cigarette.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm, and I'm like, what the hell? Are you giving me crap? It was just. It was so much fun. I, I love the hell out of him. He was an old F4 guy, and and I'm just sitting there looking at him, and, and he's just smoking a cigarette. And so what well, we do? And I'm like. Point taken, sir. I will. I will not do this again. So maybe I. I don't know. Maybe that's maybe that's a little bit of humility, but also a lot about the community. About it's you play hard. It's very serious. Uh
1: That's awesome. One a different. I mean, one a different time. But stuff. It still translates to today, and you just kind of get. I think so. Yeah, you get
0: it. We're still people, right? We're still people doing these things
1: absolutely so weapons school and then you're back to Langley as a weapons officer or work yeah next? I, went back
0: to, I went back to Langley for uh, another year and a half and I went back to weapons school as an instructor okay did that for three years um super good time and then uh, back to the staff and then I'm like all right let's 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 get it let's go be an ops officer it's that age lieutenant colonel Mott and uh, I'm up in Alaska talking to the OG like hey I'd really like to come here Alaska would be a great place to fly. I used to be in Alaska. why, you know, I got nothing for you, Matt. I got nothing. There's nothing here. Not going to happen. I go back to my queue, my hotel, my phone rings. It's the commander at weapons school. Hey, Biff, what are you doing? Oh, I thought I was coming to Alaska, but I guess not. He's like, well, why don't you come back out to Nellis? And I'm like, no, nah, no, nah, you, you only do one tour. He goes, oh, no, you, you come back. You come back to be the ops officer. It'll be good for you. I'm like, okay. So you, you never turned things down. I call the wife up and go, Hey, we're going back to Vegas. She's like, No, we're not going back to Vegas. <laughs> no way. We did that. <laughs> um, and I said, Well, sorry. Right. So she hangs up. She's not happy. And uh, we go out and have the greatest assignment. You know, I quickly became the uh, the commander out there. And I flew with, with guys that would go on to fly the Raptor in the uh, the DT and the OT. It, w- it was just, a, it was a different, this was 2001, 2003. So it's a different, it's not that 90s vibe anymore. It's, uh, it's a very, totally different vibe uh, in 2000. General Rand was the commandant and uh, the school was much bigger. So I had a a great time being the commander out there for that. Uh,
1: Because Raptor is coming online in that time period, right? So to develop tactics, is is that part of it? They didn't,
0: they didn't need lieutenant colonels at the time. They needed captains and majors to figure out what to do with it. And so, I think there were like eight guys Corky was one of them. Uh, Fumez was another one of them. They go out, they are figuring out what to do in the Raptor. You know, this is the, this is the phase when the test pilots have done it all. And they've said, it's good. Now let's go figure out how you're going to employ it. And so you go out there and do that uh, developmental test uh, to operational test. And then, and then while I went to the staff, they opened up Tyndall and started bringing the jets in there. And when I finished up my next staff tour, I got a chance to go back to Tyndall there you go. And now it's my turn to get into the Raptor a little bit late, but it was, it was super fun.
1: That's funny. And, you know, Fumaz, uh, when he was the A3, the two star there, I was able to twist his arm to get in the back seat of the Viper to do the demo with me. So that was fun.
0: That's right. You were a demo pilot. I remember seeing your videos. Yeah. You
1: know? So I was able to, I was able to twist. I always like getting the, the bosses in the back in the pit, you know, to get a little exposure to what the demo was. He was kind enough. He was a great boss. Yeah. You know, boss, 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 but uh, you know, Get a little Viper, yeah, we, Viper demo appreciation.
0: We had the Eagle demo at, at Eglin when I was there and I got to, I got to be the safety observer for that. I thought it was awesome just to watch the whole thing. I really liked the the Raptor demo because the Raptor demo maneuvers, you go out on an AHC ride and you're doing the pedal turn. You're like, yeah. And so it was, it just kind of dawned on me. It wasn't, it wasn't like a heroic effort to go fly the Eagle demo and just be, you know, you know, crazy. The Raptor demo, it's like, yeah. I'm a pilot. I can do that. It it just had a different ring for me. uh, And I still like watching the Raptor demo. I I
1: think think if anyone doesn't like watching the Raptor demo, they can just get out because I mean, it, it, it is impressive to see what that plane can do. And then fighting it, you know, when you're, you're trying your best there. And there's, there's some ways, but usually you're just getting your butt kicked and that thing it's doing what it's meant to do. It's just impressive. So. Nah, yeah, you know, I want threat spectering. I want, I want all these things, all the magic that goes along with it. But the, yeah. the Raptors impressed to watch that demo. the uh, The time that so we talked a little bit about Tyndall, but you're coming out of staff get hired to be the group commander at Tyndall. Zach, yeah. how it works? Yeah. Uh, can you talk to me a little bit about what that time period too was like, and specifically, well, like bring the B course online. What were some of the challenges you guys faced down there as you're as you're yeah. really trying to stand that up?
0: Uh, I got to give you two answers. One, one of them is, is that you, as a person, face challenges, right? Because you're you're not the 27 year old captain who just graduated weapons school. You're now this uh, gray haired colonel who's going to show up. How do you how do you fit your role? How do you still be the commander and fly well and deal with that? And I I had very good commanders throughout all my experience that really hit the mode of hey, if I can't be number one, I'm I'm not going to be a good commander. So I I kind of followed into that mode is that I wanted to focus in on on every ride and everything. Uh, like, like there was, there was a time when, uh, you you would have a commander who's not a, who's not a a flight lead. He's a wingman. You're like, are you a wingman? Well, I'm really busy being a commander. Like, no, 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 no. That's not, that's not my, uh, my way of looking at it. So I had that problem going into the Raptor and I was very conscientious of it because it's totally new. It is not an eagle, and I'm a little bit older, so let's let's not be a buffoon here. That'll, you don't want to be that guy. So that's that's one challenge that I had. The, the beauty of it is, it is that one of my weapons school IPs, uh, General Walters, had already gone through all that, and so he already had the, the ideas to tell me about how not to be that guy. And and literally, we were we were competing back and forth as to who could fly the best raptor. It was it was fun. Um, the other big challenge uh, about the raptor was, it's not an eagle. But I'm an Eagle driver. Therefore, I'm going to employ it like an Eagle. There are certain things that we do. And uh, it took the Viper guys to get into it and the Strike Eagle guys to get into it and going, what are you doing? We don't we don't have to do it this way. And that debate between the communities, I think, made it made it stronger. I think if you were to be it would be fun to go back now and see what a Raptor uh, briefing debriefing is like, because I'll bet it's a it's a stronger hybrid from what it used to be. And so that was the big debate. Uh, amongst the people about how are we going to create this Raptor identity? You know what I mean? You know, I can, I can, remember the young guys asking me, so are you an Eagle driver or a Raptor driver? And I'm like, well, uh, I, yes. You know, like, no, no, no. Which, which one are you, man? Um, but that was, that was the, uh, the, the to me that the biggest challenge there, the other one, if you remember, that was the start of the FA 22. Remember that we are let's, let's be bomb droppers. So, uh, great capability, Something that I knew it, I knew what the B word was, but yeah,
1: I never, never said, never said that as an yeah. evil driver. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a. So I words.
0: remember one of my trips out there as a, uh, I don't know what I was doing, but I was at Luke and I got to go fly with the 62nd, and I got I'm in the back seat of this guy, and we're loaded for bear. I swear we had rockets, bombs, and gun or whatever, and it was all live, and we were raging around somewhere in the Goldwater Range with a wingman, and the IP was the P. And so or the ALO, whatever, he would drop his mask and all of a sudden start saying, OK, we're going to kill the third building and look out for Jimmy, Jimmy's truck over there. And he played this whole game up and I was just eating it up. And we're doing like low level run ins, pop up, acquire the building, shoot a rocket. And, you know, it, it was totally, totally fascinating. I had never seen this kind of thing. I, I don't know what it was called, cast or service attack or whatever. So now I'm in the Raptor and we're dropping bombs and it's fake bombs, but we're dropping bombs. And so I go, you know, I saw this once. I'm going to play FAC or whatever. <laughs> <So> I'm, <laughs> out, I'm, out, I'm out there with one of the B-coursers and I'm dropping my mask and going, all right, we're going to roll in here. We're in this and blah, 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 blah. And uh, we, do, we do all our stuff because, you know, part of the fun is to loading in coordinates, right? You, you, get, you, you can pre, pre-plan or you can do it on the fly. So we're doing, I'm, I'm doing the whole thing, authenticate, blah, blah, blah. So we do this whole ride and I thought it went pretty well, you know, cool. And uh, I don't tell anybody. And the, the kid gets up a uh, Friday night in the bar and goes, hey, uh, I flew with, with Colonel Mott, and he was working with this 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 ALO that he found from an old friend who was on the ground in Apalachicola. And uh, he called in all these strikes on us, and we're having to reprogram and do this kind of stuff. People are looking at me. And I'm like, all right. Honestly, I was lying the whole time. And people just bust out laughing. The Viper guys are like, away. No Where'd you learn to do that? Uh, I saw it once. I thought it was a good idea. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that became a standard in the, in the Raptor community, but I had fun with it. It was a, it was an interesting sorting.
1: And for those listening, if you didn't pick up on it, you know, in the Eagle community, saying the word bomb is against every grain of being in that community because you don't drop bombs in the sea bottle. But I think now it's like, yeah, you know, OIR, we had Raptors over there who were initially doing, you know, Air to air, maintains, but then they started dropping bombs. So now they can say the word bomb, and then also to piggyback on that, it's impressive to see there's some guys who deserve Oscars for their acting as a Ford air controller. You know, <laughs> as some you know they can simulate whatever type nationality. That's right, at.
0: British accent, Australian yeah. accent. Oh
1: yeah, whatever you need them to be, and they're just pretending to be that person on the ground, you know, helping their student drop bombs or whatever it might be. So. Again, there's some guys I think that that's probably where they spend the vast majority of their time.
0: I honestly, I honestly thought that was a very, very professional sortie uh, that I saw out at Luke because, you know, we basically said we're going to go to this area and we don't know what we're going to do. That was like the briefing, you know. And we had we had three different kinds. We I'm I sure, pretty sure we rocketed, strafed, and dropped BDU's, and uh, it was. It was very busy. We had two bags on it, so we were out there for a long time. very intense. All the deliveries were like, okay, you just called this kind of target, therefore it's gonna be this kind of pass. it was it was extremely, uh, you know, like being an a10 pilot. I mean like this would, this would have been real cool to do. Uh, but yeah, now nowadays with Raptors, f35s, the, what what they can bring to get the weapons there is pretty impressive.
1: Yeah, for sure. I, I always I did like close air sports sorties because then when they're dynamic and you are switching between weapons and you're figuring out, you know, what type of weapon you need to drop and delays, et cetera, and, you know, working with the JTAC because it, it ties to, like, I think also doing seed or DCA, like DCA and having to build that air picture in your mind and the Viper because you don't have a magical radar there, but you're building, you know, building that and then, you know, working your, your uh, tactics from that point very dynamic and it requires for me a lot of brain bites to be utilized to try and do it, which is, I think it's kind of fun to do. So mm-hmm. yeah, di- different world to say the least, but that's funny too. You also mentioned the, the Raptor. So here I got a Raptor Eagle driver here. Is it chalk or is it a whiteboard? Which one <laughs> One is?
0: <laughs> okay. I I'm, I'm a chalk guy all the way through. <laughs> and uh, Unfortunately, chalk is dead, right? They killed it, but there was nothing better than than having chalk in your hand and you're debriefing and you're sweating and you, you you wipe your hand and all of a sudden you got chalk on your face you got war paint I, I could remember helping one of my Wug buddies and uh, we're doing one of the TI rides and I swear there's like you know 12 different people and being a smart helpful guy I gave him 12 pieces of chalk you know we aren't gonna do this we aren't gonna do the solid line dash line and pink we're gonna dude you got 12 pieces of chalk I'm helping you out and he just looks at me like what the hell are you doing? but I uh yeah it's 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 trivial pursuit it really is you know people would argue that well if you use pens you you'll leave the cap off and they'll dry out and therefore it just won't be good enough and you're like oh whatever dude um you know I, I mean nowadays things are probably all recorded anyway you know, like you're in a simulator and it's all right there but that was there's an old old article from from uh general glorence now uh, how to draw like a gomer i mean it, it is it's artwork to make these it things is. especially if you're doing the hoop doofers to the through the vertical but yeah. Uh, yeah. Chalk was the way to go. And that just that just drove people crazy, too. That was so old school.
1: That's why I mean, I walked into the Raptor vault. I'm like, there's a chalkboard. There's a whiteboard. <laughs> you know, I, mean, I guess we're just appeasing both parties here to make sure everyone's yeah. happy. But, uh, sir, so before we wrap up here, I always like to ask my guests you know, if you found 15, 16 year old Biff walking down the street, is any advice you would give him? Any tips, tricks, point outs, things to do different? Just a softball.
0: You know, I, I would go back and I would say, have more confidence in yourself. I mean, I really did. I remember those days of freaking out over, over check rides and, and worried about what's next and am I going to fly, you know, a, a Cessna instead of an Eagle. But it's interesting to see how, with experience, I got more confident and I and I didn't have that that stress. Uh, the problem with a young guy and being confident is you become cocky, and so that doesn't work. But there is there is a right way to have confidence in yourself as a young man, and uh, trust in what you know and work hard at it. And I think I think things work out. Pretty well.
1: Awesome, sure. Thanks for joining me on the podcast. It was fun to chat with you.
0: I enjoyed it. Thank you so much. This has been great, Ray. Appreciate it.
1: Absolutely. Well, so you got a few minutes? Just do uh, there. I was story.
0: Yes, I've been thinking about it since you got that that viper on the picture back there. I can remember uh, Desert Storm was all about air fueling, right? Because you you had three bags, but you'd go up and then you're flying ten hour ten hour sorties. I can remember being on the wing of a KC ten with my wingman. Middle of the middle of the day, we're we're back over the tri-border area, or whatever, and I'm I'm taking gas, and you're to the point at that point where you had director lights, but you also had a mirror, and you just sit there and stare at the mirror because you can see the apple, and it's, it's how you did it. And my wingman zipper clicks the radio, and I'm like, what? I'm in I'm in the green. I look over at him, and he goes, and I go, okay. I look over the other shoulder, and there's a hill viper, yellow tail. I think it's the Fujins. He's got nothing on that airplane except two A-9s. He's got all his racks are empty. And I'm like, okay. And he points at the boom. And I'm like, got it. Pop off, <laughs> yeah. back away. Kind of fly formation down there and route with him. And he comes in. And just about the time he hooks up, I pick up his wingman joining. He's got nothing either. Maybe he's got an ECM pod on the center line or whatever. And I swear this guy just takes a sip. He's like, ooh, little gas. <laughs>
1: Boop. Salutes.
0: Drops out of the way. Wingman comes in. Does the same thing. Boop. And they leave, and I'm like, All right, I contributed to the war today. I saved somebody because I swear the guy's bombing the, the Republican guards and probably looked up and went, I need that. And just got up there and got his gas. It was a great story.
1: That's <laughs> that's that's wild. Again, what a different story. Uh, I mean, obviously, you never found out what those guys were doing, but being where they were and what they look like, you know, there's only a couple things they could have been doing. That's wild.
0: No, that was. That was that was just uh just fun stuff
1: yeah well sir i appreciate you, you share and thanks for joining me on the podcast it was fun to have you on here and, and just talk a little bit
0: you too rain you got a you got a very good podcast it brings up a lot of ideas i mean now i'm all pumped up and ready to go work on simulators and uh, <laughs>
1: that's awesome
0: you know a little little bit of nostalgia is really really good and uh i will i'll send you I'll, I'll, I'll mention this to a couple guys a couple of the guys that i respect who i think would be uh be really good for you to talk to like my hostage would be good because he was yeah. he was there in the war with us uh general looney for sure because he's a total uh like commander leader kind of guy just real intense kind of guy and uh it'd be good yeah they, be, it'd be uh it'd be therapy for them right
1: well it's fun again i mean capturing these stories and sharing them because there are a lot of people again who they really enjoy hearing about these stories that you know for you it's it's admin. It's going to the airspace, something you don't even talk about, right? Unless something went wrong. And uh, yeah, just things that I guess we take for granted that most people are like, what? <laughs> I, yeah, I have no I mean,
0: idea. I don't think you have a problem finding people to talk about their flying experiences because, geez, even now I'm like, oh, you forgot that story. Oh, dude, you should have told them about such and such because, you know.
1: We can do it again. If you got another story you want to share, I mean, yeah, more the merrier. It's-
0: Honestly, give me a little bit of time yeah. and I could, I could like, like I can t- talk to you about flying with my Navy buddy, Spock, who was just hilarious. He's a Hornet driver in an Eagle going, Man, I can't make the switches work. I'll just use the gun. You're like, oh, dude, we're doing ACM. Can you please kill this guy? Um, <laughs> right.
1: Kill him. Kill him now. I'm so tired. <laughs> you know, and
0: I, I had, the, I had the, the, the Thunderbirds come into my, my base for the air shows. Talk about that. Um, yeah, I can. I can think of a couple
1: more. Yeah, that'd be great. So please, yeah, right, hit we'll me up we'll do. It yeah, great, sir. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for taking the time.
0: Thanks, man. I'm going to get back to work.
1: Yeah, cheers. cheers. <laughs> Thanks so much. <laughs> Bye. Bye.